Good morning. And let me be the third or the fourth or the fifth, however many, to wish all our dads out there happy Father's Day. Uh, and as a Father's Day tie-in, every Sunday we've had different graduating seniors come and read our scripture. And so this morning, uh, Sarah Catherine Hankins, whose dad leads worship for us almost every Sunday, is going to come and read for us from Philippians 2. Sarah Catherine, come on up. She is ASU bound, uh, going to study nursing, and know you're going to do a fantastic job with that. And we appreciate you reading the word of the Lord for us from Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Thank you, SK. So, in a book by Olivia Fox Cabane, she tells a leadership story from Victorian-era England. It was somewhere in the 1870s, and there were two men, Benjamin Disraeli and William Gladstone, and they were competing for the position of prime minister in the UK. And I don't know anything about their political leanings, but those guys look like the life of the party, don't they? Just look like a lot of fun to be around. Well, pictures can be deceiving. Apparently, they were very impressive men. And she doesn't describe their personal or their political leanings, but she does describe a little bit about their personalities. So William Gladstone, the person on the right, was brilliant. He was clever and he was witty. He was definitely the kind of person you could see winning the election to be prime minister in the UK. Uh, what made the difference, though, was summed up by one woman who happened to be at a dinner party with both Disraeli and Gladstone and actually sat at a table with both of them at one time during the dinner party. And that woman was a woman named Jenny Jerome. And this is just a weird historical side note, but that was the mother of Winston Churchill. She was, she was at this dinner party with both of these men and got to sit at a table with both men. And at the end of the party, a journalist came up to her and asked her impression of these two men. And this is what she said. She said, when I left the dining room after sitting next to Gladstone, I thought he was the cleverest man in England. But when I sat next to Disraeli, I left feeling I was the cleverest woman. Now, isn't that interesting? Both of the men were brilliant. Both were clever. But Disraeli had mastered the art of making other people see their worth and feel a little better about themselves, a little smarter about themselves, respected and heard. Disraeli had what psychologist Adam Grant calls inverse charisma. 
So when we think about charisma, what do we think about? We think about the gift that draws other people to ourselves, right? Charisma is that ability, that quality that is attractive, where other people see a person with charisma or interact with a person with charisma, and they are, they're drawn to that kind of person. They're attracted to that kind of person. But inverse charisma, Adam Grant talks about, is the gift to see others and draw out what is special in others, to find what is special in others, to listen to others, and be so present that at the end, those people experience the giftedness of the person with inverse charisma, and yet in the end, they walk away feeling a little better, feeling a little stronger about who they are. And I love this idea of inverse charisma. And the first time I heard that phrase was just within the last couple of months. But the concept is one that actually shows up a lot in the letters of Paul. So all throughout the New Testament, the word, the Greek word that is at the root of the word charisma shows up. And it's a word that you've seen a lot. At the, at the root of that word of charisma is the, the word where we get grace or gift. In fact, if you've read through 1 Corinthians, then you know Paul uses this word or the root of it over and over again, especially in chapters 12 and 13 and 14. When he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, the charismata of the Spirit. And so, in chapter 12, what we learn is that the church in Corinth was obsessed about gifts. They were really focused on gifts. But Paul says, your problem is not your interest in the gifts, but your interest is askew because your interest is that the gifts point to you, the gift bearer. That they're about building up your sense of self and standing within the community of faith and with the community at large. And Paul says you're missing the point if gifts are only about building up the individual. And so all of chapter 12 is reminding them of a bigger understanding of what giftedness is all about. And part of it is this, everyone is gifted by the Spirit. It's not just a select group of people, but every one of them, he's saying in 1 Corinthians 12, all of you have gifts, and every one of the gifts that you have are critical to the body. It's not that some people are better and some people are worse, some people are higher and some people are lower. All the gifts are different, but they are all critical to the function of the body. And gifts are given to be used. Like the parable of the talents, gifts are not given so that they're buried. Gifts are given so that they're invested, that they're multiplied that they make 
a difference, and not just in the life of the individual, but in the life of the body, and then further out in the life community. And so it's at the end of that long chapter, that chapter where he talks about the, every, every one of us is a member of the body, even though it, we're different uh, parts and we serve different functions. At the end of that chapter, chapter 12, this is where Paul says, but strive for the greater gifts, the greater charismata, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Now, this may be kind of hanging in the back of your head. Excellent way. I've, I've heard this. And you're right, because this is what launches chapter 13, where we spent a lot of time in 2020. Because chapter 13, while it feels like a sort of intermission, it's the glue that holds 12 and 14 together. That's the, the love chapter. The chapter where before Paul starts listing off all the qualities of love, he says, you know, you can have all the gifts in the world and accomplish great things and do great and impressive things, but if you do not have love, they mean nothing, right? And you can boil all of it down. All of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a child of God and the temple of the Spirit, you can boil it all down to three pillars, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. You leave love behind and you leave the story of Jesus behind. So that's the bridge then he goes back to talking about gifts in chapter 14. And chapter 14, in many ways, is answering his question. Filling in the blank. Okay, so what are the greatest gifts? The most excellent way, that's the way of love. Now, what are the greatest gifts? And Paul says the greatest gifts are those that are used for things like strengthening and encouraging and comforting. And he tells this church that's really into gifts. He says, see that you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, or, or since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. So do you remember what Jenny Jerome said after spending time with those two prime ministers? After spending time with Gladstone, she thought, I, I thought he was the cleverest man in England. But after spending time with Disraeli, she said, I left feeling like I was the cleverest woman. Charisma, charismata, giftedness is great, but the greatest use of gifts is when we use them to build up others. And you may recall, this is the antidote to what is ailing the church in Philippi that Sarah Catherine read for us at the beginning from chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and then into 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The life of the Jesus follower isn't about getting your way or getting ahead while others are left behind or just about building up your own ego. Rather, in humility, value others 
above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The driving question about the gifts that God gives us and the blessings that God pours out on us is not just, is it good for you, although they are good for, for us. And the driving question is not just, does it build us up, although in using those gifts, it should build us up. But the driving question is, is it good for others? Does it build others up? Does it bless the body? Does it build up the church? Does it build up the community? Are they used in ways that are not hierarchical, that it's not imbalanced, where one is always subservient for the other? No, you're looking out for the interest of others, Paul says, and they're looking out for you. And just in case we've forgotten what that looks like, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Jesus Christ. The ultimate example of inverse charisma, who was God but lowered Himself to humanity, to servant, to death on the cross, so that He could lift us up. That's what's at the heart of the life of the Jesus follower. We live in the most excellent way. And when God pours out His gifts on us, when God fills us with blessings, then we continue to see not just how we can use those to build ourselves up, but we can use all that God has given us to build up others. That we empty ourselves for the sake of others. And when you see this as the foundation of deep faith, then it's not hard for us to see this as the foundation for being a good father and mother, husband or wife, brother or sister, friend, co-worker, spiritual mentor. Being a good parent is parallel to being a faithful follower of Jesus. And the day we became parents is the day that you start to realize what hopefully you, re- you realized before that, that personal ambitions can't be your only ambition. Life can't be a vanity project. These dependents on you now shift your focus. And the most excellent way is pouring yourself out in love for the other. Starting with these that are in your own household. Now the greatest gifts are realized when you're helping others in their life experience, discover, live out their gifts but not just live out and grow into their gifts, but the kind of giftedness that Jesus' followers are called to. So that when they discover and use their gifts, then they're building up others. And that pattern continues. Now, I want to tell you about a father like this. Uh, In March of this year, 
a great man and father, Dick Hoyt, died at the age of 80. I first learned about Dick Hoyt about 15 years ago. In fact, I showed a video about him. He is an inspirational person. So, he's known for competing in more than a thousand races, uh, marathons, duathlons, triathlons. In 1992, he ran and rode across the country more than 3,700 miles in 45 days. More than 3,700 miles in 45 days running and biking across the country. And he is so beloved and respected in the world of racing that there is a statue of him now near the beginning of the Boston Marathon, where they start the Boston Marathon. Okay, now some of you, if you've heard this name and you know the story, you know I'm only telling part of the story. I'm not telling you yet the whole story. One thing I can tell you about Dick Hoyt is that he's not so respected and loved because of all the races that he won. I'm not aware of any of those races that he competed in that he actually and if you know anything about Dick Hoyt then you also know that that statue is not a statue of him alone but it's a statue of him and his son Rick and all of those races the marathons and duathlons and triathlons and that run and bike across the country in 45 days of more than 3,700 miles. That was Dick and Rick together. Dick pushing his son in a special uh, wheelchair. When they swam, he was in a boat. It is an impressive story. So here's the story of Rick. He was born with cerebral palsy. He's quadriplegic. He cannot speak, but when he was a teenager, a special computer was developed for him to be able to communicate. He's very intelligent, now a college graduate. When Rick was 15 years old, he learned about a lacrosse player, I think in the Boston area, who had been paralyzed, and there was a benefit run for him. And so he told his father that he wanted to participate. And at that time, Dick had never been a runner. He'd never competed in a race. And I think it was just a 5K. But he said, okay, we'll do it. And they came in second to last, but that was just the start. And when they finished that run, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like I'm not disabled. And so that started them on this journey, those thousand plus races and that race across America, the two of them together. Okay, I want to show you a video that recaps just a little bit of that story that I told and shows you just a little bit more. So let's watch and then I'll say a few things at the end.
so many things I love about their story and I find inspiring about their story. But one of them is this. When you pour yourself out in love, 
when you turn your gifts not just in a way that builds up self, but builds up others. The fact is, in those times of self-emptying, we are filled back up every time. And it's not just a story of what the Father did for the Son. It's a story of what the Son did for the Father, right? So the Father pushes the Son, but the Son pushes the Father too to a deeper life and a better way. And in the process, they inspire millions to this same way of being where others are inspired to run despite the obstacles but to push as many people along the way as you can and that's what happens when we practice inverse charisma when we understand that the greater gifts are not just those that show off self but lift up others when the most excellent way is the way of love. Then we pour ourselves out for others. And God continues to fill us up. We empty ourselves and God fills us up. We use what we have in love to build up others, and we ourselves are built up in ways that we never could have been on our own. I want to close this morning with a prayer that is often attributed to Francis of Assisi, and you know part of this prayer, whether you remember who it was attributed to or not, because we sing it in various forms. But that's how I want to close before Jeff comes up and leads us in greatest commands. Let's pray. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, love. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. So Lord, help us to live this life of inverse charisma, this life modeled perfectly by Jesus. May we have His mind and live in His ways. And we pray this through Jesus' name. Amen.